All right, another another pod. Let's do it, guys. Um, I want to talk about, you know, I just want to focus in on a few storylines uh, in the NBA. The the first, we talked about how the East is, is deep last time. And one of the teams we need to talk about, I have to give credit to, and I'm totally writing them off for no apparent reason, quite frankly, are the Philadelphia 76ers. Like, I definitely... Um, think they handled the whole Simmons situation absolutely horrifically where you never want teams to know that like you're desperately trying to move the player right that's like an obvious notion unless like you know he's a veteran his value is already quite thin you know Andre Drummond Kemba Walker situations Al Horford and OKC right fine that's not first of all like no one's surprised you want to move the guys of those contracts when you're on in real in, uh, rebuilding situations that makes complete sense. What doesn't make sense is when you have a guy like Simmons who's at the peak of his powers um, and is still a top 15, at worst, top 20 talent in the league, and, you know, you just bash the player, right? So um, they handled it extremely poorly. There was ways to get out of this, right? Like hey, post-playoffs, things are fresh. You say things fine. They could have had an in-house apology thing. They could have said, you know, Doc, they could have told Doc to redact his statements about, like, you know, how he's not the, a point guard of a championship team. They could have said, well, we're not going to play him at point guard. You know, we actually see him more of, like, a, I don't know, powerful facilitator. Make it up. Whatever. You have a guy in your team that's that valued. Don't poo-poo on the value. Uh, anyway, they did, and they get to the situation they are now, and, and I thought they were going to be a train wreck to start the year. And I thought that for several reasons. First of all, I thought the Simmons uh, negative PR was going to carry over to the team. I thought it was going to impact the chemistry a little bit. Uh, second, Simmons is really good. So if you're missing a top 25 guy, top 20 guy on your team, that's important. And I think Simmons might be better than that. I think he's the best defensive player in the league. That's half the that's half the sport. A great facilitator on offense. And then my, my other aspect to it is, like, everyone knocks him for not shooting. If you can't shoot, don't shoot. I'd rather have Simmons not shooting than Russell Westbrook shooting. Okay? And Marcus Smart for that reason. So, I'm fine with all that. The, um, the major concern now... And that was the major concern then, right? So now they have no value, and, and, and Simmons has got no value, and they're coming into the season without him. And my major proof for how good they were with Simmons and without Simmons is looking at the bubble team, right? The Sixers in the bubble, uh, I believe, got cl- clobbered by Boston. That wasn't really a series. Alec Burks looked like, looked like their best player in that series. Um, and it was Embiid. It was Embiid and friends, right? And they got clobbered. So I'm like, you're going to expect some of that. I mean, he's approved since then, obviously. But so is the rest of the league. And you're going to expect some of that if you're going into a season and you're hoping it's going to be Embiid and friends. This isn't the 90s anymore where you just have a, a, a Hakeem one, David Robinson, a, a, a Shaq, a big-time center, collapse the double, they kick it out to shooters, and that's your whole offense. That, that does not work anymore. Or so I thought. Shut my mouth. Look at the Sixers now. They're the top of the conference uh, with impressive wins. Now, the question is, you go back and forth. Are they playing teams on the right nights? You know, and, and, and all that. 
And by the way, they're doing it with exactly what I said wouldn't work. Old school 90s style. You kick it in an Embiid, Embiid shooting less threes. Defense collapses on Embiid, and they got shooters all over. They decided that George uh, Niang from uh, Utah was a huge pickup for them. A spacing big. Knocking down shots. Furkan Korkmaz is getting more minutes and, and looking a lot better. Knocking down shots. Uh, Maxi in year two has improved. Milton. Danny Green. Seth Curry, of course. So they got knockdown shooters. They got some creators. And it's like, wow, can this is, – is this team for real? And, again, it goes it goes more, in my opinion, to the openness of the East and really the NBA, which is great. Um, but I, I just didn't see – I thought the Sixers were going to struggle, and, and, they're, and they're not. Now, you go back to the individual games, is it really that impressive? Okay, so the way you kind of assess how impressive a team's wins are, I say, how often have they played the Pistons? Um, and, and they've already played the Pistons quite, quite a bit. Uh, so they have a win in Chicago. I want to see them, you know, we, we need more, more time. I'm still going to double down my original thought, which was, I, I don't think they're contenders. I do think they're pretenders. Um, I don't think you can sustain it long enough over the course of a season, especially with the health. Now they've gotten lucky in the sense that when it beats been out, they have Drummond in there, but they're not playing quality teams in those situations. Uh, but it could be, you know, how quality is the team? Regardless, look, they're winning. They're top of the conference. It's an interesting storyline. The other big thing, too, to be to be completely frank, is like how many... Every team now, defensively, is adept to stopping great perimeter talent, right? Um, but how many teams can man up with Philly? Not, not too many. Um, so they're, they're impressive. The bigger thing now is we talk about the East is deep. Um, I'm going to do the flip on the West to an extent. Um, so the West, similar to the East, similar to the East in the sense that, look, anybody, a lot of teams could take the West. It's wide open. I'll say that. The West is wide open, but the West is not deep. The West kind of sucks. This is the worst Western Conference uh, I, I don't even remember in how long. I'm trying to even think back in my head when was there a weaker West. I'm going to say 91 when the Lakers won it with not the greatest. And it was like the Lakers-Blazers Western Conference era. I mean, when has there been – I'm trying to think, right? Like when has there been a weaker – a week, the early 90s ones, right? You had the Portland and that back-to-back. Lakers-Portland was kind of weak. And the Phoenix came in. The Phoenix was pretty good. And they got Barkley, of course. But the West, those years were, were deeper because you always had, um, you know, even an older Laker team, Portland, Golden State was on the rise. Houston was interesting. San Antonio was still interesting. Utah was still interesting. So, um, and Phoenix was still actually pretty good. Seven. So you have, you still had a number of teams, seven teams really. Uh, that were that were quite good. They weren't great teams. They were, I would say they were. When I say good, I mean like a forty-six to like a Portland Trailblazers team now, a forty-seven-ish win team. You had about seven of those. No one popped. You weren't like shivering because of X, Y, Z until again Barkley went to the Suns the following year, ninety-two, ninety-three. But in ninety-one, ninety-two, I think he, he was the weakest Western Conference team. 
since that was the Western Conference since now. And now is a weaker Western Conference than then. That Western Conference is stronger. So it's obviously pre-91-92, but you're not going to find any year because of the uh, expansion, of course, which uh, which thinned out the league. Um, so the West, the West does kind of suck. And let, let's kind of go into it a little bit. The West is not the best. So first off, like... It's actually a struggle to figure out who the, who the top team in the West is. And the reason is because the top guys that you would expect are, are, are struggling a little bit and they're going to have their struggles. So first, the team that, that represented the Western Conference, the Phoenix Suns, they should be fine. Um, they're probably, if you just had a simple fine and be like, all right, just let's, who's, who's honestly the best in this conference, you would really imagine it's them. Uh, they just want it. They have a, a pretty deep team. I think they hit on them on a couple of the small signings and the big signings, right? So what Phoenix done really well is, first of all, they ensure that Mikel Bridges developed, got to the starting unit. Now he's a major piece for them, right? Booker's playing in the role that makes sense for him. Aiton's improving. Jay Crowder's a nice small pickup. Cameron Payne was a great small pickup. Okay, so they're hitting on the small things. Where... Um, they need a little bit more. I, I would have expected a little more development from Cam Johnson if I'm being nitpicky. That's being nitpicky. But still, like if they got, you know, now's the opportunity. Sarge is out for the year. And that actually hurts them because he was playing a little small ball five. What could they have Cam Johnson? Frank Kaminsky has elevated in the rotation. Is that good or is that bad? It's necessary because they haven't got anything from the rookie, Jalen Smith, or the second year player, rather. Um, and. And McGee has, has been a solid pickup, but it doesn't make up for, for Sarge not, not there. But in general, you're looking at a nice, solid 7-8 man still rotation. The question becomes, you know, Chris Paul's health. Can, it be, can he sustain it? He tends to get injured a lot. Fine. But Phoenix is still there. And you got to give them due. You know, in the playoff series, they have the chemistry now and everything, right? My concern with them was when they played the Lakers, they had both AD and LeBron healthy. Was it the same? I don't know. But Phoenix right now, you got to give... I, I would say they're, they're one of the more legit teams in the West. I might have say, like, a, a pick. The teams I'm a little nervous about playing in the series. Phoenix is in there. Number two for me has got to be Utah. Utah had the best record of the conference. Again, similar to the Chris Paul thing with Mike Connelly. Can he stay healthy? But they have the chemistry... Um, they've built a nice core. They haven't really improved it. And they, I'm not going to knock it. They, this minor loss is a decent loss, right? So going, losing, uh, Niang to Philly, George's Niang. And now they have to kind of float around Eric Pascal and Rudy Gay. Hasn't really been that great. The other thing is, was Jordan Clarkson's year last year, more of an anomaly. He hasn't really picked it up this year. So some questions with Utah. Now, you could do some minor mid-February uh, uh, trade down, deadline deals. Again, as I've said numerous times, you know, you, the team should look for not like the Jimmy Butler trade. They should look for the Jay Crowder trade, okay? The guy that's available, quasi-available, I should say, that a contending team should go after are, is Kyle Anderson. Kyle Anderson should be the number one target for a contending team at the deadline, period. I don't think he's going to uh, need that many assets to get. And he's a he belongs in a player rotation, and he's a massive, massive upgrade for any team because he could play 
any position, one through four, off your bench or even start, right? So I don't care who you are. So if you're Utah, as an example, was one of the teams, he's a great pickup off the bench. He's a great pickup off the bench for anybody. If you really want to contend, you don't got to go crazy. Just going to go after Kyle Anderson. That's my little PSA on Kyle. Donovan Mitchell, by the way, for Utah, hasn't evolved as much as I would have liked either. You know, he still hasn't broken through that, like, upper echelon ceiling. I'm not sure if he ever will. Can you win with Mitchell as your best player? Jazz fans will argue Rudy Gobert is the best player. Can Rudy Gobert come out on a pick and roll so easily? You know, it's not always uh, the cleanest thing. But Utah's still legit. They have the best record. Hopefully now they're playoff tested. They seem beatable in a seven-game series because they have less players that can create their own offense. Again, the NBA is a two-way game. I get it. It's defense and offense, and I'm the first one to admit that. But in a playoff series, when defense is clamored down and there's over-scouting, everyone knows everyone's play, you need guys that can get you a bucket when the shot clock winds down, down stretches. And like little guys like a Lou Williams type are super helpful in those situations. But if Utah only has Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson as your number two uh, guy that does that, that's a problem. You need a little more punch. Now, look, they got Eric Pascal and Rudy Gay. That's not enough. Those guys are done. So those would be my concerns for them. Let's keep moving. Those are the only two legit teams. Meaning, meaning, those are the only two teams that like I feel confident saying should have a top four seed and should be favorites in round one. After that, I don't know who the hell should be favorites in round one. And even those teams, I'm shaky based on who's healthy and who they play in the first round. Then you got Portland-Denver. Okay. So Portland, I mean, they just, they are sticking to mediocrity, in my opinion. Like, they're, they're a treadmill team. This is what it looks like. I get it. They made one conference finals a couple years ago with C.J. McCollum went off in Denver in a game seven. Okay, the road was a little different. But they they need to be honest with who they are. They are a fringe second-round team, which means they're like a 4-5 or five team consistently every year. You know, they're the seventh seed. They're really kind of a 4-5 or five team, which to me means a team that will consistently, you know, have a struggle in the first round. Probably that, that series is likelier to go the distance. And they might sneak into the second round half the time. But that's not, they, they, you want a team going in like, oh, this team can contend. Like, we, we got the pieces. Portland, no one's ever said that. And the reason why is it's very evident they need to split up their small backcourt. And I'm going to make this analogy, not this analogy, I make this example. And I keep making it, and I'm sorry that I do. So in the NBA, like, sometimes. You can see such an obvious fit issue, and you um, you need to solve it. And sometimes, in order to solve it, you have to trade pieces. You're not going to get back a full dollar value back, but you're hoping the piece that you're keeping goes from a dollar to two dollars, right? Even though the other exchange, you're getting a negative. Overall, you're improving because the piece you're keeping now is going to be a lot better in that in a new situation. So, here's an example: Golden State when they had Curry and Ellis. Could have easily stuck with that backcourt. Easily. Everyone was like kind of questioning it. It's a small backcourt. By the way, you're seeing the same thing with Sexton and Garland. Everyone's saying Curry and um, Ellis, small backcourt, can't defend. And 
you know, Golden State finally listened to the chatter and understood that, and they realized in order for Curry to really evolve, he needs, he needs to be the main usage guy, and it's hard to evolve in a unit with Ellis. And they needed a center, they needed to improve defensively, <clears throat> so they traded Monte Ellis for the often injured Andrew Bogan. Now, on the surface, to me, they got 75 cents on the dollar uh, in that deal. Ellis had more value than Bogan. Why? First of all, Milwaukee already had Larry Sanders. So already, and now I know he's out of the league, but he was already a shot-blocking big who could defend the rim. Uh, and Ellis just had more value. He was coming off. I mean, he was scoring in the 20s, mid-20s, I would say. One of the better um, offensive talents of the league. So... You know, but, but but they traded Ellis for Bogan. And, look, Milwaukee ran a very funky lineup. I remember this well. I went to a Nets-Bucks um, game on a Sunday evening. And they had, like, Brandon Jennings and Ellis in the backcourt. And they had Ilya Sova, um, Larry Sanders, and another big man, which I'm forgetting now, up front. This is pre-Giannis days. Um... Another, like, shot blocking. They had, like, two shot blockers. It was Thon Maker. No, it was Rookie Year. I'm probably wrong. There was another big man there, I believe. Anyway, uh, the, the the point is, that deal was what really, emer- you know, really helped emerge Curry. Now, Curry got more minutes. Clay Thompson gets inserted in the starting lineup. And, and they really, together, um, evolve more because they get usage. They get minutes. And now you're seeing what that full talent could do. Um, so in Portland, like the Lillard McCollum backcourt has been, it's already done to death at this point. And they don't like compliment each other. Like if you watch the games, I, I, you know, I play a lot of DFS. I have a DFS strategy that I do every time Portland plays. And by the way, it works, which tells you they do not compliment each other, which is I make sure only one of those players are rostered on my lineups. I never have both in a lineup. Now look, occasionally I'll be wrong, but I'm off. I'm more right than wrong. I'll tell you. And why do I do that strategy? Because they don't compliment. It's rare that Lillard and McCollum are both gonna have good games. It just is. And what does that tell you? That tell you that they don't go up in the same unison. They actually like don't help each other, right? So, and Portland's a weak defensive team. They need more defensive talent. They, they've always had fine. So it's a similar analogy. Now it's like it's starting to get too late to do such deals, but like that's the logic they should have thought of um, really a while ago. Well, and if some butts were candy and nuts. So Portland doubles down on their, their smaller backcourt, and now they kind of have to win with that anomaly. And again, I'll, I'll say this. They can never, I, I don't think they can ever fully emerge as like an upper echelon Western Conference team, unless they're willing to split the, that that backcourt. Now, look, they came close with um, with Philly now with Simmons, and maybe you know if they play their cards right, that's the move. But if, obviously, we know Philly wanted picks. Regardless, Portland's stuck in this like I would be. I would hate to be a Portland Trailblazers fan. I mean, I'm sorry, but I, I really would. It's just like it's the same team, and you know what they're gonna do. It's just gonna be this like. 
high 40 win team every single year. Like they're not like, they're, they're trying to like fix these things by adding little pieces like Norman Powell's Larry Nance juniors. Nurkic is healthy. Now Covington, that's not going to get it done. There's a core thing. They need to change. It's not going to happen. So Portland's sticking around there again. They're a fringe second round team. This is the next layer. We're already in the next layer. We're already talking about, we're already pissed off talking about Portland. Denver is in that layer too. Denver, we like. Why? They've slowly, Denver's doing it the right way. They've slowly improved every year. What's the knocks on Denver? Management has not retained talent that was helpful to their core. There's a couple of pieces they could have retained. Small pieces. Guys like Torrey Craig, right, who were really good with that team, made sense with Malone, um, and filled that like D and 3 and D type talent. Why let them go so easily? The Grant, Jeremy Grant, letting him walk uh, was a big issue. And they, they definitely miss him. Uh, so those were two pieces that they let walk that were bad. On top of that, um, they're not hitting the primes in the right way. So, like, Will Barton looks like he got he was in his prime, and then he got hurt, and now he's kind of sliding down, which is bad. Because he would have been a nice little sixth man for them, scoring off the bench. He could have been that guy, another score for them. Michael Porter Jr., out indefinitely. That's going to hurt. And Jamal Murray continues to be out. So the questions with Denver is more with their injuries. And the hope for them was really Porter Jr. They needed him to emerge, become, I would say, an all-star for them to really be a major threat in Denver. That's the gauge. And that's not silly. Michael Porter Jr., an all-star? Look, that's what they needed. And they were going in on that. Now, again, there's still hope. They could dangle him. He's got to get healthy. They need to probably make a a wrist move in the next few years to to really jump jump it up. Unsure if they will. It continues to be, though, that that health is their concern. They can get healthy. They can luck in themselves maybe into a deep uh, playoff run. But again, weak team. They're not that strong. How many talents they got? They're hoping more from Aaron Gordon. I was as well. It could still happen. I don't know if Malone. I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if him and Jokic make sense. I don't know. They probably need to evolve him more in the offense for sure. There's no reason why Houston should go that much down from Orlando. Let's go through the next phase of Western Conference teams. And this may be where we find a surprise. And for me, it's the two teams. These two teams could actually emerge as contenders. And, and that is if the guys do get healthy and they, they are who they were before the, those injuries. And that's Golden State and the Clippers. Probably the next two teams on this list. Clippers, we know that we know that targets Kawhi. Yeah, Paul George is having an MVP-like season that needs to continue. Okay, uh, Ibaka needs to get healthy. Zubox been playing great. Luke Kennard starting to get a little more confidence. Terrence Mann, has gone back to earth, so he's not the stud that they thought he was. He's not horrible, but he's not. Uh, he's a rotational talent, I would say. Um, and their point guard situation is not great, right? Like Eric Bledsoe's been okay. Reggie Jackson's been okay. That I feel would need to be improved. Having said that, if they can get Kawhi back and he's the Kawhi of old, that's your that's your biggest threat in the West. Almost overnight. He's that good. So again, they become a threat if Kawhi's healthy. It's an obvious, but it it, it, it it notes being said. And and it's cherry on top if the other guys get healthy. If Ibaka's healthy, uh, you know, as well, and Morris is healthy as well. The other team, Golden State. With Clay. Now, the thing with Golden State, 
they've they've gotten some positives, right? So Jordan Poole emerging has made that team quite interesting, right? Curry is still an MVP status level talent. So he's still in his prime. He's not old yet. Don't tell him that. Iguodala, they get finding the fountain of youth from him. Kevin Looney stepped up a bit. Um, I love Bielitsa. It's a great pickup. That was that's a great pickup for them as, as another big. And they're hitting on those those little you know improvements there, right? So um, their big thing, Gold State's big thing to me is going to be obviously Clayton to come back. They need to get something out of the rookies. So Moody and Kuzminga have got give them nothing. Now the hope is they can slowly emerge, kind of give you Cam Reddish minutes like Atlanta last year. Get in the rotation a little bit. They're going to need to have a couple, one or two of those guys do something in the rotation. I'm not saying they need to start. They need to be in the rotation. But Wiggins has been great as well. But they need the rookies to step up. That's Golden State's thing. If the rookies step up and they get like a Derek Anderson-level talent out of one of those two, and I love these references, um, they'll be in fine shape. And then with that tier is obviously the Lakers. Now the Lakers... It's really it's also health, but like I don't I don't love the mix of their their talent that much. They need to be really healthy. <coughs> so health actually matters is less likely for them because they have you know AD who's he's not a guy who I would you know be confident um, is going to emerge or anything. Uh, but they need AD to be healthy, they need LeBron healthy, and they need Westbrook healthy. The team is just too thin without those guys. And to me, having that combination is actually quite rare. Um, just eight, Davis has been injured all the time. I just I don't have faith. I, I have more faith in Leonard with the Clippers. Because if Davis is out, then, then it's not enough. LeBron and Westbrook's not going to carry it. Um, they need Davis. They need LeBron and Davis. Now, obviously, the LeBron, but LeBron's been fine. They definitely need Anthony Davis. And then, really, those are the only seven teams. Now, any of those seven, I think, can emerge. That we just mentioned. We just mentioned seven. They could emerge if, if, if a couple things happen, right? Um, health is, is the main concern, but it's, it's wide open, but it's weak. They don't threaten anybody. And then the question now is that there's other teams that can pop in that, you know, can surprise. So, okay, let's look at Dallas, Right? Dallas' team is weak. They're not good. Um, and, and, and let me just dive in deeper because that's uh, a subjective statement. So obviously Luke is an MVP talent. We get that. But the rest of their lineup, the rest of their nightmare rotation should be fringe rotational talent. Uh, besides KP, right? So Kristaps Porzingis is not a number two guy. He's a number three guy. Someone tell that to him because he thinks he's a number one guy. That's the problem. Porzingis... You can still you feel it even watching the games. Like, oh, this guy wants to take the big shots. Like, he takes these random, like, 30-foot threes. Like, he's got the rep of Damian Lillard. Like, Lillard's allowed to do that in situations, but he's built that over the course of his career. Porzingis has not. So when, you know, shot clock, not even shot clock, you know, when it's, like, two minutes left in a game and you want to hit a big three, you dribble down and chuck it. If you're not KD, Lillard, or a few players, you can't do that. Porzingis does that. That's the problem. It still lingers. But outside of him, again, these guys are fringe. This talent-wise, are fringe rotational talent. Brunson's nice. He's a fringe. He's like a, a nice. You can start with a couple teams. I get it, but he, you know, eighth, seventh man. Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, DFS. Dorian Finney-Smith. 
Maxi Kleber. Um, I thought, I keep saying this, the clever move that Dallas had to think of was doing a deal with Cleveland to try to resurrect Kevin Love, who can be resurrected, um, and getting like Sexton as a sixth man. There was a move there, in, in my opinion. Instead of doing Laurie Market and signing, they would have done Porzingis for Love and Sexton. And I think Dallas would have been in better shape having a veteran like Love, Sexton as a, a score off the bench. Could have adapted their lineup a little bit. Who knows? Anyway, this is the team they have now. They just lack talent. We said this up front. Like, there's who's the guy that's going to carry you in stretches? Is it Porzingis? He doesn't pass. And Porzingis, that, that's been the that's been the mistake of, of the Cuban era. Um, was was the Porzingis move because they, they lost some picks and they could have evaluated talent and all that. But again, they have Jalen Green. They have to continue to develop him and, and hope to flip him um, and see if they, you know, they, their only hope is really buyout market, but they don't have guys of value that you can move. That's their problem. Unless they find people that are annoyed in other situations that are demanding trades. Right, so like if you have Tim Hardaway Jr. as an example, who's been five for them, but he, he's he costs a, a hefty penny. You know, if I'm Dallas, my goal is I actually need to get a two for one. Like I need to get get rid of the one, and I need two back. <coughs> so, and I need talent. So do I take a risk? I can still do a deal with Cleveland. I can maybe still even get a Sexton. Do I want to do that? I don't know, but I can get talent. Do I deal for a disgruntled player like Buddy Healed or something like that using Hardaway? I don't know. They don't have a lot. To the, they don't have a lot of juice they can squeeze out of in any trade situations. Um, and Porzingis doesn't have any value, unfortunately. They need more wing talent. They need, we need uh, some wings who can who can score a bit, um, which is and it's not not on the roster. And that's really the other team. I don't think they're going to merge out of the West for that reason. Like it's it's too much on Luca. That's not a it's not a system that that could maintain itself. And that, that's your probably your eighth team if you want to throw in an eighth on people that can contend. I'm, I'm, I'm least excited about that. And then, you know, nine through through 15, can any of those teams really get in? They all kind of suck, right? I mean, like, um, you know, Minnesota is not doing anything really. Sacramento, I mean, again, these teams that, like, you're looking to, like, take that step. Minnesota, you have Anthony Edwards. Can he take the step? Um, <clears throat> Memphis even, they showed some signs, but like they haven't really developed a number two guy. Jaron Jackson's been nice, not a number two guy. So again, the problem with these other teams that are on the fringe now of that eight, Memphis, Sacramento, Minnesota maybe, um, San Antonio, the, the youth hasn't emerged yet. The only team of that group that I'm actually excited about in the near future that could make the West more interesting again is probably San Antonio. Um, and I say that because they have a lot of similar lengthy, deep talent. It's just about them making sense. But look, so again, the West kind of sucks. There's eight teams that could quasi-contend. Really seven, but but if they're all healthy, there's five. Because I would cut out Portland and Denver. And I would say Golden State, the L.A. team's Utah Phoenix. Um, so it depends on health. Portland, Denver can sneak in if they get the right matchup against an injured team. 
So that's seven. Dallas is the the biggest pretender out of the group. Um, but the whole thing's kind of a mess in general. I mean, it just is. And and the and there's really no and this the West is gonna be bad for a while. It's gonna be bad for a while because there's no like young emerging team. Phoenix has some young pieces, but their best player is old AF. Okay. Denver is dependent on Michael Porter Jr., as we noted. So, like, who's the young emerging team in the West? Uh, San Antonio might be two years away. But it's like no one, so they're going to be bad for a while. These teams are old. L.A. teams are old. Golden State is old. Look, it makes the league fun. We have no idea who's going to win the West. It's great. Good for betting odds. Remember, get your bets on SI Sportsbook in Colorado right now. If you uh, bet 20 bucks, you get $10 uh, every week for 18 weeks. Use promo code SIDIV. S-I-D-I-V. Like dividend. So there you have it in the West. Um, <clears throat> in terms of what this means going into the season and the deadline and things like that, I mean, you look at it a couple different ways. In my opinion, like... People need to look at last year's championship, Milwaukee Bucks, and and think, like, that could be us. There's not that many windows that exist in league history, meaning um, most of the time there's usually a uh, a clear-cut, you know, contender or a few teams, right, that really only have a shot. You don't have that windows. Now, sometimes you have windows to even – win the conference. So that exists, right? Like, I, again, I keep making this example, but like in the, the early 2000s, the Eastern Conference, when they were bad, you know, Philadelphia, Detroit, Boston, even New Jersey, right? All felt like, okay, we got a shot to uh, to win the conference. Which was accurate, and, and, and certain teams did the deals. I keep talking about I'm, how pissed I am. Southwest traded Joe Johnson for Ronnie Rogers and, and Tony Duck, but I got it. I mean, I, I get, I get those deals, but what you don't have, okay, um, and, and, and usually, so when sorry, when a conference is wide open, um, the teams in that conference are going to be more willing to make trades during the deadline because teams are going to try to jockey and, and make a position to make a run. <clears throat> This is even more so because it's not like a conference is wide open. The whole league is wide open. Which is amazing. We got to take advantage. And with the whole league wide open, the question then becomes, who are going to be the aggressors going to the deadline? And if you're smart, if you're a rebuilding team, you got to sell. Because you're going to get great value. If you're Detroit, you got to put Grant and Olenek on the table. Those are guys that teams are going to want. And you want to be the team that trades Jeff, like when the Celtics traded Jeff Green and got that Memphis first that, you know, almost became like a, a top five pick. You want to be that team. Like, how do you deal the Jeff Green in the group and get like a first rounder? And you could do that with, with Grant, Olenek, uh, 
you know, the bad teams need to start thinking of it that way. Who are the veterans that we have that, you know, have some value? And even the youth that we don't feel like are going to make sense for our team. Who's got value? Um, you know, Toronto with Dragic as an example. And then you got to, but there's going to be like five sellers and 25 buyers. Um, and what I suspect is it's going to be the wrong teams being more aggressive in the buying market because we've seen that already, right? So, like, a great example is, like, Chicago, who's really not a contender, um, is probably going to be aggressive more than they should. And, you know, maybe another team might pop in that feels like they got a chance and they're not there. I would say, you know, Portland typically is a Portland doesn't have much to move. I would expect Chicago, Portland to be aggressive and try to get these like as they have in prior deadlines. But they're going to get like the, you know, they're not going to get the big pieces. They're going to get like the Dylan Brooks, Kyle Anderson, those guys, which is fine. But if you get Kyle Anderson, that's that's the that's the the trick in this whole thing. Um, but you're going to have a lot of aggressive teams especially ones that haven't been here before that really want to make some noise. And then you have some surprise teams that make it difficult, uh, like Cleveland, who hurt the, the buyer-seller market because they should be sellers, but they might be buyers. It's going to be a fun year, but I have never seen a, the West Conference this bad, which is fine. It's wide open, which is exciting. Parity is good. I don't know what the future of it holds. Maybe we're going to have a, a series of West like the East. I mean, this is this is unprecedented. We really couldn't think of a time. The East was making the joke for years. Everyone's talking about LeBron. Not the case anymore. Not the case. Everyone have a great, great day.